Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Rewound Founder. In this episode, we have Asaini Santashiv joining us. Asaini is the founder and CEO of Gigimot, a practice management software for solo practitioners and small clinics. Uh, previously, he has negotiated $3.5 million in seed funding for his first startup. He launched the first ever Estonian uh, online portal for students and pupils. Then he launched Estonian, the first Estonian online vegan shop, and he has done some incredible work. Do listen to this till the end. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for asking, Advik. Look forward to this podcast. Yep, same here. My pleasure. Can you give a little introduction without the users, uh, the listeners know what they're listening to? Yeah, absolutely. So, hi everyone. My name is Arseni, founder of Gigimod. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm born in Estonia. I launched a couple of startups from... Uh, from high tech to e-commerce and now building a practice management software for self-employed therapists who run their private practice and for small clinics to improve their uh, workflow so that they can take much more patients and uh, generate more revenue. The niche that you guys are working in, how did you get into that? So how are you related to clinics or medical or something like that? This is a really good one because in the beginning, the original idea was completely different. Uh, it was born basically when the pandemic hit. And at that time, we were building a marketplace. Marketplace to find specialists to do some kind of work, you know, like plumbers, electricians, nannies, uh, dog walkers, and stuff like that, and people like that. But then we realized when the lockdown happened in Estonia, we realized that that business model is completely unscalable. So we pivoted and we pivoted into focus on something that can be done again online. And we chose only one category, healthcare. Well, it was like a wellness and beauty because we had life coaches, dietitians, nutritionists. And then we realized after, you know, like working with, with people that there was a much bigger problem because at that time, a lot of marketplaces like that starting to pop them up. Popping up, like, you know, like marketplace to find a dietitian, marketplace to find a, a personal trainer, you know, nutritionist, and so on and so on and so on. And we've realized that the actual problem was much bigger than that. Uh, the problem was actually managing your practice and keeping up with, with the current demand and using the software, which is A, not outdated, and B, is scalable, that will allow you to optimize and generate more revenue, uh, bring more patients, and simplify the uh, basically overall of your practice and the most important thing is to get give you a uh, full view of the performance of, of your business so that was where the problem uh, was and we deep dive into that so we again we then again pivoted and we basically focused on delivering the practice man- to build a best practice management software for small teams and clinics that they can run their practice smoothly, intuitively, without, you know, like going through 
weeks or even months of onboarding process. So we basically remove everything and uh, we succeeded in that. And that's like really, really cool thing. Like this, this is the whole credit goes to A, our beta users, beta testers yeah. who share their professional feedback and B, to my amazing team uh, who I wouldn't be able to done that without them. So you guys initially started out with a lot of niches on the platform, but then uh, resorted to using one and that succeeded. Exactly, exactly. So we made the same mistake as many founders do, especially first-time founders. And although I'm not a first-time founder, yeah. I did exactly the same mistake. So it's a very common thing, no matter where you are on the planet. So we, we, we wanted to build... Um, not build. We basically wanted to have a lot of people. We want to serve a lot of people. But yeah. then we realized that we will be building absolutely nothing for everyone. So that's yeah. like a catchy phrase. You know, you build everything for nobody. And yeah. that doesn't bring any value. So you need to focus. You need to narrow down specifically for only one category, only one niche. And then you start to expand. And a lot of VCs, you know, like this is like also a uh, piggybacking on, on this topic. A lot of VCs, you know, will start telling you, oh, your market is so small. Like, how can you do those? Are you like, nah, no, it's not venture backable startup. Yeah. But this can discourage a lot of startups. Um, yeah. And, and if you will get discouraged, you basically will shut down your business and that's it. So the goal here is to take this advice and throw it away. And continue doing what you're doing. Because as soon as you start generating revenue, these guys who told you that, hey, there is no business, yeah. they will be first who will be knocking on your doors and saying like, hey, you know, like we saw that you just basically had this amazing press release. Congratulations on your first customers. We want to write you a check. So yeah. the, 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 the subject line will, will change completely. But the lesson here is to, no matter how, um, how seductive it is, to yeah. uh, serve absolutely everyone from day one. No, 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 forget that. Choose one category, like take at least 10 customers, you know, who will love your product, um, who will be using this daily. Then, you know, like expand to five more customers, you know, have like 20 customers, 50 customers, or even 100 customers from one vertical. And then, and only then, you know, if, if your business model is repeatable and scalable, then start to think about, uh, how can you add more value to other people in that vertical? So in our case, right, it's it's it, we started from mental health therapists, but then a couple of clinics reach out to us. They said, "Oh my gosh, you, uh, your product is so cool. We want to test it out." So that opened a like wide opportunity for expanding our uh, business model from serving only one type of people, self-employed therapists, into serving small clinics. And then basically, so on, so on. So now we have like really, really huge plans for expanding further. What do you think uh, is important to do in a, a competitive market, in a small competitive market? Uh, if if the niche is growing, I mean, if it's yeah. uh, stagnating or even going down, you know, you make your research and uh, it's, it's instead of growing like 8%, 10%, 15%, on the annual basis, and of course you need to go there, but of course you need to have a plan how you will overplay the other guys, right? So in our case, we analyzed a lot of competitors. Like we we also in, included some indirect competitors, like um, 
equity scheduling or even Calendly because in, in most part of the world, people don't use, yeah. they don't have access to practice management software. So instead they're using Calendly or equity scheduling because this is what they basically need for taking uh, appointments online. And I'm talking about uh, self-employed therapists. With clinics, it's a slightly different story. So yeah. we had to analyze a lot of a lot of potential customer, uh, potential competitors, you know, like uh, weight, like all pros and cons. And then we made a decision. Yes, it's it's a good opportunity for us to enter that market because a, we're doing things completely different. Uh, our our UX is different. You know, like uh, instead yeah. of waiting for weeks or months, you can go live with Gigimod in twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. That's it. Instead of yeah. you know like waiting for weeks or two, or months because before you're getting onboarded. So uh, we also focus on completely different things uh, rather than competitors. And that's what makes us a uh, competitive. So just kind of simple example, right? So you have two cars, right? One is uh, BMW and the other one is uh, Kia, right? So BMW offers you one set of features, right? And Kia offers you a, a different types of features, right? If you ride it, basically there are two cars, right? They, they solve the same problem, right? You want to go from this destination uh, A to destination B, right? So that's, that's your main job to be done, right? But how they doing, that's, that's the question. If you want to have more comfort, right, like more smooth ride, you know, like more more sound, you know, soundproof when you're driving, you know, more more better sound quality to listen to the music, right? So you choose one option. If you don't care about that, you know, you, you're you just need to kind of have four wheels and you don't care, you know, and the chair, right? So then you choose that type of product, and and yeah, basically that's that applies to any type of business. It doesn't really matter if we're if you're doing a practice management software, if it's a food delivery application, or if it's a uh, ride hailing application like Uber or Estonian uh, Bolt, right? It doesn't really matter. What matters the most is if you can overplay the existing guys with your value proposition and that's the problem this is where a lot of startups really fail because they fail to understand what is the value proposition and how to come up to that value proposition so there are two really good books on that this first uh lean startup it's basically enough cliche but uh what i would further advise is to analyze the lean canvas which is a derivative from alexander osterwalder's business model canvas so the main difference is basically business model canvas is something that is built for existing businesses that they knew how they're structured and they just can they can just basically play with the canvas and change their business models. But the lean start, but the lean canvas is for startups, and this is where where the magic happens. So I would really encourage people and those who will be watching and listening to uh, analyze the lean canvas model because this is what would help them. And the second thing is a book called Jobs to be Done. This is for everyone, not only for startups, but for everyone. It explains, you know, the main things like what needs to be, what your customers needs to, what are the customers are trying to achieve, what are they aspiring to achieve so that you could understand the psychology. And when you get that, then you will understand, okay, so instead of actually offering them uh, four wheels, right, instead of offering their, them a car, you need to understand what they want to achieve with that car. And that could be different different problems, right? Different jobs. For example, in this example with a car, it could be uh, uh, having a really good family trip from from I don't know from Estonia to Switzerland. That would be amazing, right? That's the job to be done. Or the second job to be done for the same person 
it could be a convenient way um, to uh, to arrive to to write to um, to their existing job right from from home to the office. So when you understand the meaning behind true uh, jobs to be done of your particular customer, then the magic happens. Then you can come up with a value proposition and then you can have a strategy to overplay the existing players on their markets. So what is the average use case of uh, Gigi Martin small clinics and uh, electronic health records? Average case is basically um, the optimization. Well, there may, there could be like any clinic you, you should understand. And anyone who, who is trying to go into healthcare business, um, I would, yeah, that would be a much better answer rather than just to say like what we do, you know, and how we're doing and why we're so cool. No, yeah. that's, 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 that's a different story. Um, I will, I will try to provide as much value as possible to people who want to go into the healthcare. So yeah. uh, they should consider healthcare as a large enterprise. And when you go to any enterprise, you know, like there's like hundreds of people working or, or thousands of people working, they have multiple, multiple different problems or jobs to be done, right? It could be either um, optimizing their workflow or optimizing communication or uh, improving their sales, improving their marketing performance or something else. So it's like a lot of, a lot of problems that they have and startup basically offer different solutions to that that are solving one specific problem of the enterprise so in healthcare it's exactly the same thing it could be improving again like of the workflow optimization enhancing customer or patient experience you know uh building ai ai that helps uh, doctors to analyze x-ray uh, images and uh, offer possible solutions or detect early signs of cancer or something like that. Like there's like much, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of problems that the whole healthcare has. And the goal here for you, uh, for the founder who is trying to go there is to choose one problem and provide the solution exactly the same way as you're really focusing yeah. on the enterprise clients. So in our case, of course, uh, then now I can explain what yeah. we're doing. We're solving, again, only one problem right now, but definitely we'll be expanding further. We're uh, solving the optimization uh, of the workflow in an absolutely new way that allows them to take more patients and generate more revenue. So this is what we're focusing. That's the problem that we're solving. We're not solving the problem of um, stockpiling, you know, like of medicine in, in, their, in their facility. No, no, that's, that's a different startup that, that is doing those things. We're focusing on only one specific problem, which is a 2 billion uh, problem. Uh, it's much bigger, sorry. It's a 14 billion problem. But in Europe alone, uh, about 2 billion euros annually is being wasted because of this problem. So can you imagine like, if we'll be yeah. able to help clinic clinicians in Europe, we will save them 2 billion euros annually. So, so do you only... Uh, so for European markets right now, uh, I'm pretty sure it's worldwide. Well, technically everyone can use Gigimod right now. Well, with some limitations, of course. Uh, but we will be focusing on Europe, partly European market, uh, South America, and uh, two more markets as well, two regions. Of course, you know, like every startup founder wants to, you know, like deploy 
globally from day one, which is impossible yeah. unless you have unlimited access to capital. Um, but in our case, you know, like in every case, in any case, not in, not in every, in any case, a startup founder needs to have at least some plan or or an idea where he wants to deploy. Right? Some people go to U.S. because this is really big market. You know, it's it's very um, very rewarding market. Some people go to only serve only the DACH region. DACH means uh, Deutschland, uh, Germany, uh, Austria, and Switzerland. Well, YD is because Deutschland, Deutschland, yeah. Austria, and then twice, right, in, in in Switzerland. So some people go to India, Pakistan, right, and they go to um, some people go to Saudi Arabia market. So it depends on the strategy of of any startup founder, but definitely they need to have a plan. Plan, plan is very important. Do you uh, work with like five-year plans or anything like that? Or how no, how long are your plans? Yeah. Uh, if anyone at an early stage will say, oh, we have a five-year plan. No, this is a bullshit. Nobody is using that. I mean, like nobody will believe that. Uh, what is much more convenient way is to have a... maximum three-year plan like it's not even a plan it's a basically a product roadmap which might help you just to see like what are you going to deploy next but ideally you need to plan at early stage i mean like idea stage i will start like that if you're an idea stage uh based on the quarterly you need to plan into the future not even six months not even one year three months this is what we do uh, I really like how we did it from the beginning before we, we, we had an idea. We plan on a quarterly basis. We had our business objectives, uh, what we wanted to achieve, what would be the result, you know, and then we plan for the next quarter, the next quarter. And uh, I came to a conclusion that this is the most efficient way. Yes, of course, I have a roadmap for three months, uh, for three years, what we want to achieve. But this is more like a fairy tale, you know, like uh, something that I really want to achieve. But there's no guarantee that we will achieve that because something might change, right? A new regulation could happen. You know, a tsunami might um, might occur, right? Uh, the Amazon might, you know, like somehow shut down all their services. So something might happen, right? That we will just simply cannot be, uh, won't be able to control. And planning for a few months or for, for three years or five years or even 10 years, that's insane. Unless you are a big enterprise or you have at least reached Series A in um, in funding and stage, that's a different story. This is where you need to have like really good plan, like especially financial plan to show to the to your investors, to uh, investors who will be investing at Series B. They want to see like a really strategic plan for the next like two, three, four years. But at early stage, three months maximum. That's it. As in our case, right? We had like really good plan, like a four, three, three to five year plan. It was amazing stuff. You know, we, we came up with a lot of network effects, how we can expand, you know, how we can attract those. And, and then we just simply pivoted. And all our work, the energy that we wasted uh, was completely, um, completely gone. So it's not justified at early stage to plan so far ahead because um, when you start talking to actual customers, right, people who will be start using your product, they will give you the feedback that you might not even uh, thought you will receive that feedback. And based on that feedback, you might think, okay, so it's time to pivot because this will lead us to a dead end. 
So three months, again, I will pay three months maximum pro projection into the future. Next three months, next three months, next three months, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, you now. Um, so like you mentioned in the start, you're a serial entrepreneur. So what all startups have you built in the past? And is, the, is this the first time you're entering healthcare or your fast experience? Yeah. Um, so I was building uh, like about the 10 years ago uh a earphone instant translator it was before any wearable devices were even like a mainstream media i was challenged a lot like who would be wearing like you know like this headphone you know like where you when you have an iphone you know like it doesn't make any sense yeah right now right now a lot of people using like different wearable devices so at that time we were trying to we were solving the language barrier because in europe um there is 20 plus countries, 20 plus different languages. And funny thing, not everyone speaks English. So, um, you know, if you, go, if you come from Estonia to Italy, chances that people will not speak English are really high. Same goes for, for Spain, for Portugal, for, uh, for France. In Germany and Switzerland, that's a different story, right? In Scandinavia, here it's a different story. But there is a problem, right? It's a challenge. So if I'm coming from Italy, I'm Italian, you know, like Lorenzo, for example, right? From Spain, yeah, yeah from, from Italy, Lorenzo, Vincenzo Lorenzo, something like that, right? I'm coming to Estonia. I will have a lot of challenges of uh, getting employed because I don't speak Estonian and I, I don't understand what's happening, you know, like everywhere. So for me, it's a challenge. Same, same goes for... Um, for Leonardo, right? For Leonardo coming from Spain uh, to work in in France, the same problem. He doesn't speak, and we were trying to solve this language barrier problem. So we came up with this device, you know, that would allow people to communicate freely, you know, like in your language, and they receive the translation, live translation, immediate translation in their language. And at that time, there wasn't any cloud-based solution for that. Basically, at that, that time, there was no cloud at all. And we were envisioning that sometime in the future, maybe like in a few years, something would happen because, you know, like we see the kind of projection of, of innovation of curve of the curve and stages of innovation and something should happen in the future that will build a system. Same with, as it was with internet, uh, now with cloud and, and the next thing would be with AI and, you know, meta and whatever else um, situations. So it was really cool. Um, I was able to secure, I was able to negotiate uh, about like three and a half million euros for my seed, uh, for, for the seed round. The preparation work was two years. And at the end, the guy who I wanted to buy patents because he had researched and, and, and developed uh, this machine learning algorithm that was so advanced, it was so advanced that at that time, Google was not even close to what he had done and at the end you know like you can imagine you know i'm sitting you know like chatting negotiating and he's backing down and i was like no way like no way like two years of preparation and investors you know like and he's saying you know i will not be selling you my my work right? and i was yeah. like oh my gosh like and this was the first time i i really uh 
went burnout, like completely burnout. I was like, I, I returned back home to Estonia and I literally didn't know what to do next because it was like really hard to swallow and to process. But the experience was amazing, like phenomenal. So uh, how did it go about after that? Like when you, uh, when the person backed down, what happened to the funding and what did the investors uh, right so i didn't get any funding of course uh actually those vcs uh, they didn't they didn't respond me back and frankly they never responded me back like at all i was pitching them relevant relevantly uh recently relevant like kind of basically a few months ago and nobody responded me back. I mean, like I even send them a follow up. No, nobody responded back. Probably they were blacklisting me. But anyways, um, a funny thing is that I reach out to that person and just wanted to know, you know, how is he? How's he doing? How's his health and so on? And he said, like ten plus years has passed, and he said that you know I, I'm so sorry that you know like I I I backed down on the deal last time. You know, like I'm feeling like it was like it could have been like really good startup if you have built that and he was offering me to buy his startup uh his patents now for a 1 million because last time he the deal was about 30 million so 30 million versus 1 million and i said to him no uh sorry like i have to pass because your technology is way too outdated he didn't sell sell it to me uh, I was about to make a payment of 10%, like a down payment, and then to uh, buy out on the next rounds when I will be raising. And he would have basically got everything plus royalty, plus some other stuff. So yeah, that was a story and experience uh, I really, uh, really value because, you know, like not everyone goes through this, but it's, it's really good and, and challenged it shows you you know like if you're ready to kind of operate with these numbers you know if you can actually handle those that pressure and so on so aside from that a um, couple of other startups basically um it was a e-commerce store i launched the first in estonia online vegan shop for vegans serving the whole country you know compared to uh let's say india right we don't have that much people you know plant-based uh the whole market in estonia consists of at that time consists of consisted of 25,000 people so it's a very very niche you know given that the whole country is 1.3 million people and 25,000 were my target audience it was amazing experience I built up the whole um, shop from the ground up I established the uh, logistics from from Tallinn well basically from the capital to other uh, other cities in my countries Sometimes I even drew myself, you know, because there wasn't any logistics available. And that was a really cool experience as well. Um, I also started to expand to B2B because uh, I was serving B2C. My business model was B2C and then B2B, well, basically B2B2C. Then slightly, slowly started expanding to Latvia, supplying uh, Latvian cafes, uh, individuals. And then, you know, what happened? Then the local big uh, shopping centers came in, took over uh, my suppliers, got exclusives, and basically they reduced the prices and I wasn't able to compete with them. 
So of course I had to shut down the business and, uh, but that was like really amazing experience. Now I know how to build a e-commerce store from the ground up and regarding the e-commerce, uh, regarding the healthcare, this is the first time I'm entering this market. It's very interesting. You learn a lot as basically with every other industry where you want to go. And, um, and I see a lot of opportunities here. Like the healthcare industry is, is, is like education. It's the least developed uh, industry. And that's sad, of course, because um, the education system is, is so big, but it's not, it, it's, it, it hasn't been disrupted for many, many years. I mean, like right now what's happening, like, okay, uh, online education, online platforms, online market, that's not a actual disruption. That's just a small uh, optimization for people who want to study remotely. But if we're talking about like different like things, uh, like a complete innovation and complete disruption, then you need to uh, go slightly different path. You need to go slightly beyond of just having a kind of video and that's it. Uh, because again, one of my startups was also a magazine for students. And we were envisioning like a really, really big, um, we had really big vision for that magazine. Um, I won't get, I, I won't be going to details, uh, but the inspiration was coming from the Swiss uh, students portal. It's uh, students.ch. If it's still existing, you can basically then check it out and see uh, the idea. But of course I took it uh, and modified based on my vision. And it was like really cool, like super cool. Um, in terms of, again, education. Uh, if people want to go there, uh, it's a massively, massive market. But if you'll be offering a just just another video option tool for classes, that's chances that you will uh, raise capital for this uh, are not that big. You need to think smart. You need to go beyond that, much beyond that. So, well, with software, it's very simple. I mean, like you just write a code and that's it. Like you, you can literally go to Bali, right? Or go to Indonesia, other places in Indonesia, or go to South America, or basically fly to the moon, whatever. Like you just need to your laptop um, and, and, and that's it. So that's the easiest part, right? Uh, you, you just simply then make some customer interviews, right? A uh, bunch of them, you can go to the streets and say, you know, hey, I'm building this amazing stuff that will save you time, right? Will we be using this? You can you can show mock-ups. You know, you don't need even need to build that. You just show mock-up design, and that's it. If they say yes, um, you 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 basically launch. You, you collect the feedback. You launch a simple landing page. You you run a ad, um, and you will see if people will be actually uh, signing up. And of course, if you will, you need to also add a price tag because that's the ultimate uh, validation uh, signature. If they're willing to pay immediately, if you don't even have the product, boom, that's it. You have a business. You can build around that customer and that niche and that problem. That's it. Like, very simple. With e-commerce, that's a different story. First of all, you need to very understand who is your target audience, who you be serving, right? In my case, in the e-commerce, it was vegan. So it's pretty straightforward. I mean, like every product that is uh, not that is a plant-based, this is basically a potential product for my audience. But of course, there were also uh, ups and downs. Uh, 
um, for example, uh, like chocolate bars, yeah, kind of good, but not so good. Um, some some other products like also jackfruit also worked okay, but they had a lifetime value, not the shelf value, but the lifetime value of that product. Because you know when it's something new, people try, um, make a couple of purchases, and then basically the uh, they start uh, the the curve goes like this, and they don't purchase because they kind of got used to it. It's not so cool anymore. So you also need to think through and plan because uh, unlike of software business, the product business in terms of uh, goods, right, the consumer goods, um, fast moving consumer goods to be specific, they have a shelf life. So you just simply cannot, you know, like purchase thousands of units and, and, and that's it, you know, like, because people don't buy that often or they will buy it like super fast. You need to think through, you need to plan, you need to kind of negotiate with suppliers. Like it's a different story. And of course you need to do a lot of marketing, like a lot of marketing uh, to grab attention all the time, customer acquisition costs, because, you know, there's a lot of products competing in the fast moving consumer goods are like literally a ton of products so that's a different story if you're talking about the hardware business there is also a completely different story first of all and probably the most um hardest part is to find a manufacturer who will manufacture the product that you want to produce and also you need to have a strong team find the talents who will be able to either a build the product same as with you know like engineers software engineers but now you need to build the actual product then you also need to figure out about the cost structure of buying the raw materials you know like the motherboards you know some wires you know like chips you know like the odds and, and so on and so on and so on basically this is also something that you need to think through but if you will look in, at the comparison you just you can't compare those three uh, industries uh, because they're completely different but there's only one thing that unites everything. Um, you need to basically do everywhere, no matter what, what industry you're going through, like it's a hardware, if it's a consumer goods, if it's a software, you always need to follow the same playbook. Analyze who your product is, figure out your cost structure, um, prepare a value proposition, uh, evaluate that value proposition, and ship the product. Because that's the ultimate um, ultimate indicator whether you will succeed or not. And by succeed, I mean if the people will be using or buying your product. So in our case, when we were building the hardware, it was super hard to find really good people who will be able to build this stuff. But I was lucky enough to uh, attract an engineer from NASA. And that was really cool. That was the highest achievement. And the second probably highest achievement was that I was able to negotiate. I didn't went into manufacturing process, but I was able to start negotiation with a manufacturing company, which everyone knows. It's called Logitech. And we wanted to have, because they were located at, in Switzerland and we were launching in Switzerland at that time. So uh, we were negotiating a possibility to use their production lines to build our prototypes because we needed to have embedded uh, bluetooth motherboards of course the plastic and stuff like that so 
we also need to negotiate with suppliers, you know, the same as in the e-commerce business, you need to negotiate with suppliers. So basically the same playbook, but slightly adjusted for every industry. So again, the goal here is to, uh, the main point here is to not be afraid of entering any industry uh, if you're unprepared. You only need to follow along. Uh, you only need to follow the specific playbook. I'm not saying that this will guarantee a immediate success. No, it's just kind of there are a lot of nuances, of course. But the most important things are you need to first of all understand who is your target customer, right? Like what problem you're solving for them. Uh, like validate the idea. You know, like build a prototype, uh, run some ads. You know, like and uh, and ship because this is the ultimate goal. The the last one. You ship the product whether you like chocolate bars if it's a piece of code or it's a small gadget you know that you will give to people who will be wearing or attaching or putting into uh like backpack or whatever whatever they will be using or putting into the soil right and it will generate solar energy so it doesn't really matter basically um the ultimate validation comes from the uh, people who will be using that i hope this answer gives uh answers your question um i know it's probably not what you were expecting but i wanted to touch point um the most important thing like it doesn't really matter whether yeah. just to stop what you're launching software fast consumer goods or hardware there is a specific things that you need to that are alike in every industry the customer right the validation the problem of, of course uh the mvp and and the ultimate um validation by the consumers or the customers who will be using your product yeah this is a perfect answer um so what how did you uh or how did media coverage because you have got considerably a large amount of media coverage from what i saw on your website so how did that help in the growth of your startup and apart from like the basic the marketing uh thing how does mm -hmm. it uh, really help at the core uh well it it, it depends so uh, with the awards uh with the global health and pharma that's a different story because this is definitely something that health related organizations look like look at but with the media um this is more for the seo and for um, for the investors to show basically like if people talking about you, if media is writing about you, there's something like happening and something interesting. We can dig into that. But, uh, on the, on the customer or, or basically, or yeah, or on the customer perspective, it didn't affect at all. So it's a just part, every startup founder needs to understand this, that media, if you think that you will launch an article, uh, if you if someone will publish an article about you in some kind of media and you will get immediately like thousands of customers, no, uh, that doesn't work. The PR is only part of your marketing and sales strategy. So you do some posting on Facebook, like on social media. The news uh, are writing articles about that. You go to podcasts, you know, like uh, people are listening to you. They listen what you're saying. How do you say, you know, and what do you say? And they start thinking about you as a expert in, in your area, in your industry. Then you participate in, in, uh, in some kind of business forums or industry-related forums. You know, you're, you're a speaker, right? You write a guest blog in some locations. You do some, something else. So in combination, this is the marketing that when the person, 
because the consumer, basically your customer now, is very picky. He uh, he analyzes a lot of uh, companies in your industry, and basically based on the results that he will find about your company, you personally, you know, your value position, testimonials, and so on and so on, then he will make the ultimate decision. And this is where the sales sales department comes in, right? They step in, and basically they start working with the with the people who already analyzed and uh, came to a conclusion whether they want to use your product or service or not. And the media, as again, is the part of the of the whole, like, like a chain of your activities, like small activities bring you results from your marketing overall activity. And that's, in this case, yes, it's very helpful. But as a standalone, um, no, it doesn't help. So how did, uh, like, very practical question, uh, nothing uh, too philosophical about it, uh, but how did you guys uh, really get media coverage? Was it natural or... Uh, did you actually reach out to different articles? Or... Yeah, uh, it, it was like a direct reach. Uh, you start building relationship with the journalist. Um, like the wrong strategy is to uh, to like to send a um, a journalist who you don't know like the press release and expect him to publish it immediately. That's a wrong strategy. The better strategy is to reach out to him, start building your relationship, um, asking kind of a couple of questions. Follow them on Twitter, for example. You know, like engage with what they're what they're writing, right? Uh, share some kind of tips in the comments. You know, like how how you see the problem, or you know, like thank them for um, for for this article, right? You you make a repost. So that's how you build relationship. That's how they recognize you, and then when you will be ready um, to have a dialogue with them about um, something. Then they will already know. Oh yeah, I know um, Advic. He kind of you know he's engaging with my Twitter, right? He's commenting me all the time. Yeah, I remember his name. That's interesting. Let's see what he has in mind. So that's how it works. It's a long-term strategy, and uh, this is something that startup founders not do properly often. Yeah, I mean a lot of people rely on virality. Yeah, which is not in a person's control actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sort of. Uh, so how did you, uh, guys get Joseph Grant on board? Oh, this is a really good interesting thing. It was a story. And, and club... uh, I'm sorry for interrupting, but just a little background about Joseph Grant, so that some people who might sure. not know him. Okay. So, so Henry is really cool guy. He is a mastodon in sales and he's very known in Northern Ireland. And he was the first employee of uh, Just Eat. Uh, Just Eat is a unicorn startup, um, the food delivery guys. Uh, they have this orange form, yeah. if you don't know. So basically he was the first employee. Uh, he was responsible for the whole UK region and he helped the guys um, the original company comes from Denmark so he helped the guys build the startup from ground up to basically IPO and he was also one of the executives at um, at other companies like very very known you basically can google Henry Joseph Brand and you will see the information so how did uh, we met it was a very accidental situation um when Clubhouse was famous, well, not famous, but basically when it had its own momentum, 
um, there was, I don't remember the room exactly, but something like about business, business, venture, startup, something like that. There, there were a lot of rooms like that. And Henry was also uh, one of the people in that group. So the good strategy at that time um, was if people is still using Clubhouse, I don't know if it's still existing, you can use the same strategy. So basically go to the meeting room and start looking about the people who are not speakers, but attend attendants at attending those rooms. So there's a lot of information, uh, good information that you can use. Like, you know, like some people say, um, like I'm, I'm a social media manager, you know, working for Google, you know, and stuff like that. So you can reach out to that person on Instagram or in LinkedIn, you know, like you can have a conversation with them, just kind of start building a relationship. That's a really good strategy. So I use the same approach when I, um, when I uh, reach out to Henry. So I saw his basically profile and like, I saw like a lot of cool information and I was like, and I say like, oh my gosh, like this is guy I want to really uh, see as one of our advisors. And basically that room ended and I was like, oh my gosh, like what, like I don't have a connection with him. So I reach out to him. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was LinkedIn. I reach out to him. Uh, we had a couple of, you know, exchanges, questions, you know, back and forth. Then we had a meeting and uh, at the end of the meeting, um, he enjoyed the conversation and he said that uh, he is willing to become one of our advisors as well and that was like super cool uh, i was feeling so happy because you know having henry um as an advisor was amazing he he is the coach you know that um that every startup founder should have but not everyone has the opportunity to have such kind of coach it's it's like very it's, it's a different level i mean like in terms of association you know like um you're a um, superhero rookie right you just kind of uncovered your first level like achievement and all of a sudden you have a superman le 99 level superhero who is backing you up you know like on, on behind of your standing behind of you you know like and selling you like okay go this direction now use you know like x-ray vision now fly here now you know like use the ice breath you know like and you're feeling that you're going from one level to like level number two level number five with him you know supporting you and and showing you where not to kind of fly because there is kryptonite there is something else you know like and like it's, it's really cool it's really cool so the lesson here guys everyone who's listening or watching this uh find the mentor like find people who have been there where you want to be or uh this that who or or mentors who have skills that you do not possess who are much more experienced than you are reach out to them on linkedin or instagram or twitter uh, engage with the conversation and ask them to become your mentor not becoming an advisor in your company but first becoming your mentor and then offer them a opportunity to become also an advisor in your startup yeah um so, so when you initially uh, reached out to Henry. Um, how did you like uh, structure the messenger? Because what I have noticed personally also that not a lot of people respond. Like when they uh, get at that level, uh, I mean, by the sta society societal standards, uh, mm -hmm. 
kind of re- gets become successful mm-hmm. uh they don't respond now i don't know what the reasons for that are personally but how did you get a response from them? that is something i'm personally would just right so um there are two two answers to this question the first one is um it's a myth that successful people don't want to mentor other startups uh because it's a natural thing for people to pass knowledge to someone else yes of course there are people who don't care about this yes of course but on the majority level and scale there are people willing to pass the knowledge but they are very picky to whom they will be passing this knowledge to because the worst thing a great mentor can do is to invest his time and energy in someone who doesn't even value or cherish the knowledge and wisdom that the mentor is passing to the mentee so uh now answering the second question probably not everyone is getting responses back because um the mentor or this high level person doesn't see you as a person who he or she uh is willing to invest his time into coaching you so in order to reduce the probability or increase the probability of you to actually getting uh a yes from that person is to first of all to uh i know it sounds really bad but to have a proper profile on linkedin you know like uh to have your wall either on linkedin or uh or or on or on, on twitter to have a really good content and relevant content you know like you have a lot of followers well you don't you don't need to have actually a lot of followers but basically it's interesting to read you and that you show that you are actually willing to learn and stuff like that and the last thing of course is to have some touch point with that person with henry uh the touch point was uh transferwise because transferwise was estonian and is estonian startup unicorn now it's called wise they launched in 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 london stock exchange now worth billions of euros so he knows founders of start, startup of transferwise so he was also a guest mentor at their annual transferwise day so basically they have a connection and uh at that time when i reached out to henry i said that one of my co-founders is actually from transferwise he's a product analyst guy and uh that basically was the trigger for henry that this team is is um is kind of qualified i wouldn't say like he's qualified but this team is worth my attention and i can look deeper into that so that's why he agreed for on a call and during the call he basically came to a conclusion that yes um it would be a good investment of his time and energy into our team yeah that is like considering but it it's also based upon the like for example Uh, if you take you you have built uh, several big companies or not big companies but 
rather companies which have done something uh, good and created some impact. Uh, so you might have seen that too in the past. So I think that has added uh, to the chances of you getting uh, him on the advice too. That might be the case, but that's not always a true uh, situation because in the beginning, um, when I like I didn't have any experience, any background, I, I just dropped out from, from university because I realized that I don't want to waste my time on studying entrepreneurship from the people who never launched a business. Yeah. So I quit and I started to, uh, I, I, I transformed from becoming a academic to a, a street smart, from basically going from book smart to street smart. And I started reaching out to other M- uh, entrepreneurs, top managers, you know, like investors and asking them to become my mentor, like literally pitching them. And uh, one mentor, actually uh, one person uh, responded to me back and uh, agreed to become my mentor without me having any proof of, you know, like I am able to deliver something. No, I was kind of completely blank, but that person was very... Um, uh, she, she saw something in me and uh, she believed it in me and she became my mentor and we're still good friends and she's actually one of our investors now in, yeah. in this startup yeah it's crazy how things like progress exactly yeah so, uh, what are your thoughts on fundraising in the current situation because investing is Heavily glorified right now. And it's like, considering the current situation, it's pretty hard to. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are next. Um, I will tell my personal experience, which is completely different from whatever other guys are seeing. But VCs, honestly, they will invest in whatever startup uh, there is that is generating revenue. So if you are able to show uh, at the early days that you're growing like 15% or 20% month over month, they will write a check. Like, well, of course, depending on the, on the niche, on the industry um, and some other, other interesting uh, points that they have um, and, and the thesis is, uh, but in overall, um, no matter like what they're like saying on Twitter, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, like the, the industry is crashing, you know, like people don't invest. I'm seeing investors, you know, actually writing checks, a lot of checks. Uh, a buddy of mine from Finland, uh, they have an AI um, basically tool that before the chat GPT, um, it summarizes the whole context into a few bullet points and then gives you, you know, like the, the, whatever you basically have. So right now I actually don't know how they will be competing with ChatGPT and this functionality and the recent plugin uh, introduction feature. So it's going to be interesting. You'll actually read, uh, reach out and ask, but they will, they were able to raise capital like, like that, like, well, not maybe like that, of course, <laughs> but they were able to raise capital in the, in these times. And the number is like really big. I mean, like really big number. Um, in my case, it was a completely different story. I reached out personally to more than 200 uh, VCs for the past year. And uh, I didn't get any check. <laughs> yeah. So like it's it's not even a, a numbers games. Um, 
there might be like a different case, you know, like maybe they didn't like me like as a person, right? Maybe they didn't like, they didn't believe in the team that we have. Maybe they didn't like uh, that we pivoted so much. Maybe they thought that uh, their industry is like so crowded that we just basically will not be able to do those things. Or maybe they saw that we basically haven't been launching for a long time. And that's, that's something that indicates a red flag for them. I don't know, like, like many, many, many reasons. So instead, uh, we started to bootstrap. I raised capital from, from angels instead of VCs. And now we're getting like a lot of, a lot of traction. And uh, now I will be, you know, when I will be reaching out to those investors, now we'll be having a different conversation. Now the rules will be on my basically side, right? The ball is on my side because we have the traction now. You know, they pass on us. Now we have the traction. If they want to invest, the rules are basically this now. Yeah. So the fun, the lesson here is basically if you get a no from a uh, from an investor, it doesn't mean that you suck or your startup suck. No, it could be like many many different industries, uh, many 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 other topics or reasons. So maybe you know like you just reach out to a investor or venture farm firm um, that is uh, not investing in your industry or not investing in your geography or the thesis is completely different or your stage is different. So. Before basically reaching out to any VC, you need to make a proper homework, right? Um, the worst thing what you can do, just simply have a list of emails and send them the same thing. No, no, that's the worst thing. You need to go, like, you open the, let's say you, you go to axel.com, right? Or earlybird.com or speedinvest.com. Doesn't really matter, like which venture fund is. You go, you you go to the... Um, to your portfolio, analyze their portfolio, right? Like you go then and see what the team is behind that portfolio. You reach out to that person and say, hey, you know what? Um, for example, hey, um, Advik, um, I, I saw your recent post on Twitter about portfolio company XYZ. That was amazing. I know the guys, you know, like they were building this really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, like we're doing a complimentary software that is adding value together with that startup. We're growing like 15% on a monthly basis and we have 7,000 MRR. Would you like to have a uh, conversation with us? And not even like, would you like to have? We would like to have um, a, we're raising capital right now and we're looking for investors to jump in. Please let me know um, if you would like to uh, schedule a call with me, right? Or if you would like to jump in early. Something like that, right? So you you find a touch point, you know, like um, something where, where you can find a connection and you basically reach out to those investors and you increase uh, the chances of of, uh, of your fundraising. But right, right now, honestly, most of VCs in Europe, at least, they have like type form or, uh, or air table type of form that you basically write the general information and then someone from, from the team Usually it's uh, analysis, uh, reach out to you and has an initial conversation. So that's basically how they work right now. Yeah. Awesome. That, your answers are like uh, to the point. Very good. That's very good. Answer pretty do because I am asking questions which I did not send you because uh, not because I did not want to send you, but they just came up in the conversation. So how do you uh, structure it in your mind? Because uh, when I speak, uh, new thoughts keep, uh, like they keep pouring into my mind. I It gets uh, muffled up while going out. So that's just a first question. 
Um, it comes from experience, right? Um, if you're a if you're a startup founder, right? If you're a CEO, so by default, your mind needs to work constantly every time. You need to provide produce at least one terabyte of of pure energy every millisecond. Like not even one hour. Like every millisecond, you, your your mind should be working like it all the time. You know, like. When when somebody asks a question, you immediately see the whole puzzle. You know, like like <laughs> like like millions, billions of of possible scenarios, and you just basically already know the structure how you will uh, operate in the scenario A, scenario B, scenario Z, and so on and so on and so on. So um, I think that comes from um, from again experience. You know, when when you do a lot of stuff, you basically train your mind. It's it's exactly as a muscle, right? If you don't do mind push-ups right push-ups for the mind then your mind becomes weak but if you're constantly challenging it you're solving really challenging questions uh going through a lot of problems and you're solving those problems then your your mind just basically works on a different frequency and it produces results all the time yeah so i guess like i'll just just last question this has been a pretty long question but uh what advice would you like to give to young like startup founders or uh, people who are just starting out on the journey from your experience what would you like to um there's a lot of things that actually uh, pops into my mind Mm. be prepared to to walk the path alone because nobody will care as much as you do about your startup. Nobody, no one will be uh, putting 100% effort as you are doing. Nobody will actually care about your startup, more you. So you need to prepare and uh, uh, take it easy, you know, like for the feedback, like, uh, if you will do something and people won't like it, don't pick it, take it personal, right? Uh, you will learn from your mistakes. You will just keep going forward. You will go f- further and further. But keep in mind that entrepreneurship and launching a business, a startup, especially if you're a first-time founder, it is a very, very lonely road. No one will be cheering. I mean, like you have friends, right? But uh, they will not be uh, supporting you as wish as you would wish. They will not be giving you money, right? They will not be becoming your customers. So uh, be sure that you will be mentally prepared to walk the path alone. Because if you will be prepared, then uh, other challenges will be irrelevant. That's That's probably the main advice that I will be giving to you. It will be much easier for you to um, uh, to challenge, uh, to face those challenges when you will be mentally prepared. So again, uh, be prepared to walk alone. Uh, not like not hiring everyone, not to building a team. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the different thing. I'm talking about that. Um, in the end, nobody will care as much about your startup as you do. Yeah. That. That was pretty different, but pretty. Now that I, yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, pretty practical actually.
Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, like, I could have said yeah, that, good. oh, okay, so the best advice that I will tell you is to launch fast, you know, like ship fast, yeah. or the other one is like, um, keep moving forward, you know, I guess you will do it, you will crush it. Like, like this is something for, you know, like Tony Robbins style, you know, like stand up, everyone, hang, 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 give a hug to each other. <laughs> yes, you can do it. You know, this is like a bullshit for, for people who, who have, like want to get inspiration. The practical advice is that, when you launch, nobody will care about your startup. No matter how how bad you think, like uh, um, no matter how good you think your your product or solution is, you know, like no matter how many hours or years you have invested, no one cares. Like absolutely no one cares. And most of the time, uh, people will um, will even hate your product because it will even uh, it, it will not the first version. It will work not prop. It will not work properly. It will uh, make them feel angry, and they will. Uh, flush a, a, a ton of negative feedback on you and you will feel horrible afterwards and you will try to, you know, like uh, switch off your phone, you know, like delete your email account, you know, you will not be able, you will not want to respond them back, especially if they have paid and, and your product doesn't deliver the results that you promised. So be mentally prepared for all of this. Be sure that you will be able to uh, withstand the challenges through when you will be walking this path yeah that was incredible advice actually uh so i guess that's it from my side anything um you'd like to add as we conclude uh no i would only add just to um to the listeners that follow advic you know like uh there would be definitely a lot of really fresh content and who knows, maybe in some time we will uh, have another podcast. 